0: This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm your co-host and executive producer, Greg Masters, the managing director of Health Innovation Media. Joining me in our state-of-the-art virtual studio is the co-founder and principal co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, who also serves as president of Accountable Health, LLC. We designed Pop Health Week as a conversational platform where industry leaders and stakeholders from various sectors such as payers, providers, patient vendors, and regulatory communities converge to share best practices and strategies in population health. To connect with us, visit www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter via at Greg Masters, MPH. and remember that is Greg with the double G, or Fred Goldstein on Twitter via at goldstein or www.AccountableHealthLLC.com. On today's show, we're in the company of Caitlin Donovan, Global Head of Uber Health. We explore the important benefit of integrating Uber Health's network of transportation providers into health plans from commercial to public, including Medicare and Medicaid, Caitlin also discusses how Uber Health intends to position and leverage their network nationwide to meet the needs of patients in this expanding space. And now, without further ado, I hand over the reins to Fred, so take it away. Thanks so much, Greg and Caitlin. Welcome to Pop Health Week.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's really a pleasure.
2: Why don't we start? Give us a little sense of your background and uh, Uber Health.
1: Sure. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to be a in in the population health space for about 10 years. You know, spent time at a number of companies that took risk on populations of patients. At CareCentrics, when we would take a 90-day episode of risk on patients as they were transitioning from the hospital to the home. At um, Circulation Logistic Care, before it now became called Motive Care, where we take risk on getting patients to and from their doctor's appointments. And was CEO of a provider roll-up as well. Um, And that all sounds like very different things, but came to Uber Health because saw the same thing throughout all three of those different roles. Patients needed logistics to um, stay healthy outside the four walls of a hospital, And they needed it embedded in where they found care, which is at their provider's office. And that's what we've been building at Uber Health these past two years.
2: That's fantastic. And I know originally it's sort of been around transportation, you know, and things like that to get to appointments. But you're now adding a new feature around food, and food is medicine. So talk some about that.
1: That's right. I think most people think Uber Health is patients pulling out their Uber app or their Uber Eats app and using it to get, to and from doctor's appointments or order healthy meals. But really, we've had a five-year journey where we started as a completely separate web-based software portal that was intended to be used by providers or care coordinators, social workers, call centers at health plans to connect the patients that most needed care to their appointments. And to your point, we started with transportation. Someone else could request a ride on behalf of a patient. But what we found is patients who needed transportation typically needed other things too, whether it was they needed their prescriptions delivered, they needed over-the-counter goods, or they needed groceries in their home. And so now that same platform that has been around since 2018 offers all of those services um, to the patients who need it most in a way that taps into their existing insurance benefit designs.
2: So I know you've, um, as part of this, you've joined the Validation Institute Food Med Certification. So why did you decide to do that as a, one of the key organizations coming in?
1: You know, I think it's really important anytime there's innovation in healthcare care um, to make sure that uh, clinical results are justified. Just because an idea is a good idea does not mean that results are repeatable. And what we've seen is there are a lot of good ideas and innovations specifically in the food is medicine space. But it's a little bit of the Wild West. You know, every, every day it seems like there's a new company saying that they're going to um, really change outcomes and get patients the food they need. And we believe in that as well, but want to make sure that we're working with a company like the Validation Institute to distill the the cream from the rest of the crop to make sure that when an insurance company offers a benefit, when you see what's available on the Uber Health marketplace, we can tell you whether results are repeatable or not.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important what you've said because this whole food is medicine space kind of encompasses a broad range of potential services exactly. and foods. <laughs> and so how we try to bring that down to, as you talk, talk about, something that's validated, something that's based on the science is critically important.
1: I completely agree. The, the problems that you could be trying to solve when you're offering food to patients um, it, it, it's it's massive, right? You could be solving for a food insecurity issue. You could be solving for a condition-specific need, and leveraging the power of a company like the Validation Institute that can prove here's what you're trying to do. Yes, you did it in a clinically sound way. Yes, you did it in a repeatable way. Um, allows um, allows transparency for um, for those using those products.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Let's talk about how this is going to work. I think about you know, using Uber today, I get in my app, I, go, I got to go to the airport, I pop that thing in there, you know, a few minutes I got a driver shows up and off I go and then it, I pay for it. How is it going to work within the healthcare system for these types of services and, and in particular, getting food?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it might be important to talk a little bit about how it works for patients today. A lot of patients have these benefits. They have a grocery benefit and over-the-counter benefit. They might not know it exists and they might not know how to use it. So think about a poor patient who's homebound that needs to get to a doctor's appointment that finds out they have a new condition with a specific dietary plan needed. Today what they need to do is they need to go to their doctor's office and then they get a whole bunch of homework. Go see the specialist, figure out a way to get there. Here's your new diet. Go figure out your shopping list. And what we allow is we have the Uber Health dashboard, which is a web-based tool that allows the provider whose office they're at or the call center that they call into to request those things on behalf of the patient right, right then and there. So what the provider sees or that care coordinator sees is what we're used to seeing on our Uber app. Patient's name, date of birth, the address they live in that comes from the health plan's eligibility file And then they just fill in, you know, this patient needs apples or that patient needs corn. Um, And what the patient sees is they don't actually even need to download the Uber app. Think about a patient on Medicaid that doesn't have the financial means, wherewithal, um, desire to use their data for, for a health plan. They receive a text message that says that their provider or their health plan has made a request and has ordered groceries on their behalf receive a link to a live tracking and then get the groceries that they need paid for by their provider or health plan.
2: Wow. So and I understand obviously this is working within the healthcare system. So you've created this app to be HIPAA compliant.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Everything we do is HIPAA-enabled so that we can make sure we're fully protecting all patients' data um, in a way that complies with all those regulations.
2: And does this link in through the EHRs, or is it a separate app at this point? Are you looking at that in the future?
1: You know, a combination of both. We do have integrations with, um, with EHR systems. We find, and so we have a standalone web dashboard as well as an API. Um, to make sure that we can fit into whatever system is working versus create one of our own. Um, We find that too often in healthcare, a lot of apps um, demand that they control the patient experience, and that's not good for a patient because then they end up with 40 different applications. So where it makes sense to have Uber lead and be a standalone great, where it doesn't use our API and we're happy to be just the back end.
2: And you're working then directly with the health plans. You're getting their demographic information, the benefits information, so the correct decisions can be made around what they can order and not order, et cetera?
1: Um, We do. So we actually work with a lot of different players in the ecosystem. Very often we work directly with the health plan because, to your point, these benefits are well-established across transportation. There's normally a way to pay for prescription delivery as well as grocery and over-the-counter goods. But often providers, and especially value-based providers, will supplement what the health plan offers because they know that is one of the main triggers that's um, preventing acute episodes for their patients, and so we have the ability to, yes, accept all of that eligibility and benefit information from the health plan, but also have a coordination function with providers that want to supplement beyond what the health plan So
2: they can add additional services or features or food sets or to that? That's exactly right. And we find
1: most of our customers do. That's actually how we got our start.
2: (laughs) You know, I'm thinking particularly, I mean, this addresses so many interesting areas. We've obviously got the area for the um, disadvantaged populations, mm-hmm. and uh, and addressing some of that, but also I'm wondering, as a, are you seeing sort of a feedback loop? This is a crazy question. Where payers are now saying, "Well, I couldn't figure out how to solve that, but now that you've solved it, I'll do it."
1: You know, a, a little bit. I think. <laughs> I think what we've seen is a lot of payers have had these benefits, mm-hmm. and the utilization has been suboptimal because they're really hard to access. If you think about a patient and what they typically need, if a patient needs transportation, they likely also need food because they'd need transportation to get to and from a grocery store. They likely also have at least a condition, You know, looking at the data, probably complex chronic conditions. That's a lot for a patient to manage. And so what we've been talking with insurance companies about is how do you actually administer appropriately the benefits you've been offering for years that are subutilized? And just to give a, a concrete example here, you know, we find that empowering the provider who has proximity to the patient, who knows their needs, who knows how to help them navigate the system, creates much better clinical results and, and patient happiness um, than just leaving it to chance that the patient figures out the right call center to call. We ran a program called Rides for Moms, actually out of Washington D.C. It was for a Medicaid population. This this group of um, pregnant people had access to a transportation benefit. Used it less than ten percent of the time. By embedding Uber Health at two federally qualified health centers and having their providers screen these patients, utilization went from sub ten percent to forty four percent used this service at least one time. The NPS results followed through, the clinical results followed through, where patients attended an extra half an appointment in the series of care. And I think that just speaks to a benefit alone does not drive the right results. You really have to think about the appropriate administration and execution, and that's where Uber Health comes into play across the four benefits that we offer.
2: Right. I I think back to, I did a program for persons with schizophrenia for the state of Colorado, and we had really good results going, we would cut ER visits and everything, and suddenly the state had some concerns about the transportation vendor mm-hmm. and said, okay, everyone's got to get that pre mm-hmm. And we told them this population is going to struggle with that. And sure enough, within two months, we saw the ER visits go up exactly. and everything. So having it set up, where it really is driven more by the clinicians than the patients, particularly those who have so much to do anyhow, trying to just keep their their lives going and things like that, it's critical to put those services in place. Exactly.
1: And you think about all that's getting in the way. I think so many insurance companies keep talking about how value-based care is going to be the solution to that. In our experience, it's not. We were contracted with a value-based care provider and the insurance company and they, um, they had a dual eligible population, meaning they were on Medicaid and Medicare, had a patient that lived in Kentucky needed to cross state lines to Ohio to receive preventative care. Medicaid wouldn't pay for the benefit because it happened so frequently. The benefit had been exhausted for Medicare. And they said to us, what should we do? We said, you have a value-based care arrangement. You're financially incentivized to do the right thing. It's going to cost you $40. That's going to be much cheaper than any of the, of the alternatives it's absolutely the right thing to do for the patient. And they said, you know what? I'm worried that the insurance company is gonna be mad I didn't get a prior off. So patient called 911, transportation alone went from $40 to $1,000. They had an inpatient stay costing tens of thousands of dollars. Now you have a very unhappy patient, a sick patient, and a lot of loss to the system. And you see that frequently across all of these supplemental benefits. Um, and, And that's, that's what we're trying to solve here we can Mm -hmm. allow that provider to tap into those benefit designs and do the right thing.
2: Mm -hmm. So are you launching this, Caitlin, nationwide? Do you have regions now? How have you set that up?
1: Um, We are are launching nationwide. That's part of the value of being part of Uber. We have the nationwide network of uh, couriers and drivers, so have the ability to launch nationwide. For grocery and food in particular, it will be fully launched and ready for the January 1st, 2024 benefit year.
2: Fantastic, and also you've talked about HIPAA compliance. What about driver training or requirements of drivers? Is it any different, things like that? You
1: you know, it's it's not. We think of of this as having, um, you know, a, a tiered network where you have different levels of service depending on the need and acuity level of the patient. So on the transportation side, you have... Uber is appropriate for, call it, 80% of the Medicare population. 20% need higher levels of service, whether that's um, someone who's trained to get out of the car and help you, or a wheelchair vehicle, which we also do offer in in certain cities on our platform. Um, On the prescription delivery side, same thing, where for certain things like antibiotics, Uh, Uber driver safety standards are appropriate, um, whereas for rural areas or for certain classes of drugs, we do need higher levels of training and work with a partner to do that as well. And then finally for food, um, we find Uber drivers are actually appropriate for all of that because food is food and, and we have such a large nationwide network of trained couriers to be able to deliver on that experience.
0: For those of you just tuning in, we are in the company of Caitlin Donovan, Global Head, Uber Health. Stay tuned for more insightful conversation and opportunities to participate in their nationwide launch January 1st, 2024.
2: And so does the Uber driver who takes that pickup, go to the grocery store, pick up the items through the list, come back and take it to the individual's house?
1: That's actually, that's exactly right. It's one of the benefits of being integrated with the Uber Eats marketplace that most people think of Uber Eats just as uh, uh, restaurants that are in your neighborhood. But we actually have a very large network of grocery stores and retail chains, et cetera. So have these operations down where um, either the courier or the merchant themselves picks, um, picks all the items that are required, packs them up for the courier to take to the um, to the patient's home.
2: Wow, and they can do, I think it was also mentioned, they can do um, over-the-counter medications as well, not that's just right. foods.
1: That's exactly right. Wow.
2: And do you see at some point that expanding any further? Are there other areas you're looking at with that?
1: Oh, good I mean, that's question. That's a lot to chew <laughs> off right now. You know, I think our, our whole philosophy is... Um, use your core competencies and fill a need in the system here i think our core competency was our um, independent network of couriers and drivers Um, and then we applied that to the to the healthcare ecosystem in a way that allows us to connect multiple touch points across these four supplemental benefits that were well known well funded and existed so i think where you'll see innovation from us is much more around how do we better enable coordination across those supplemental benefits on the back end so that we can tap into the many funding sources that exist um, to provide transportation, to provide groceries, to provide over-the-counter goods across um, insurance, government programs, grants. Providers themselves wow. um, to maximize the value of the dollar we collectively spend.
2: Mm-hmm. And from a population health approach, what sort of measurements are you looking at to say here's sort of how we've Impacted that system. You mentioned some from the the uh, early study, but
1: you know, I think um, for us It's tying the combination of utilization to clinical results is the be-all end-all mm-hmm. From our standpoint, we can obviously help with some of the utilization data and making sure that we're finding the most cost-effective manner of getting the patient what they need, whether that's two-way ride, one-way delivery. And then often with our partners, we'll work on collecting the appropriate clinical results so that we can um, demonstrate um, our impact to society as well as the ROI of the program.
2: So do you have, I'm sure you must, some of your test cases some feedback from the providers or the payers at this point
1: um so far it's been so good <laughs> that's great um, i think uh uh you know looking forward to being able to talk more publicly about some of the case studies that we're um that we're running
2: uh-huh No, that'll be fantastic to see because you know having 30 plus years of medicaid just the issues around transportation getting to appointments was enough then you add on food insecurities, the, f- the supermarket's too far away, there is no supermarket, whatever, is just fascinating.
1: I-, I totally agree. And even if you think about, you know, to your point in Medicaid, transportation's been a covered benefit since 1966. But you think about the inefficiency of using that benefit to go to a pharmacy or to a grocery store. You have to drive there. You have to wait the 15 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes to shop, and then take that patient back home. That's that's a really expensive use of that resource in an already constrained environment. And so we're really happy about not just providing the patient need, but doing, um, doing it in a way that matches the right tool with the right problem, so that we can stretch the dollars further in the healthcare ecosystem.
2: Yeah, and it's fascinating also to talk about that one-way delivery thing, mm-hmm. because when you think about it, we used to have to try to figure out Who's going to watch two of the children while they take the third to a doctor's office, exactly. or things like this? And now you can be able to say, well, well, if you have to get groceries, you know, you got to truck everyone in. Well, now, no, we'll get the groceries delivered to your to your house. Really, a great way.
1: Exactly, a much better use of resources solves more problems than just for the patient, um, and tends to be, you know, you know, the math on it works. A one-way delivery is cheaper than a two-way ride.
2: Mm -hmm. And so you've talked, is this going out to sort of all payers? You'd be able to offer it to Medicare, commercial insurance, companies, Medicaid, et cetera?
1: It is. And we're we're seeing a need across the board. Um, You know, if you think about Medicaid, transportation's been offered since 1966 for prescription deliveries. We're finding states are... Um, introducing waivers to allow for prescription delivery instead of a two way ride to the pharmacy because it's mm-hmm. much more cost effective. And then, same on grocery delivery, um, especially with what the Biden administration um, uh, said recently encouraging 1115 waivers for food programs. We're seeing a lot of interest there. On the Medicare side, these supplemental benefits have been um, very well offered over the past few years, again, across transportation, prescription delivery, food, and OTC. And then even on the commercial side, there are a lot of employers that have populations that act like Medicaid populations. And so we're starting to see um, flexible spending purses that allow you to spend on wellness benefits. And then um, also for thinking about employees as caregivers. You think about the sandwich generation and an employee that has to care for an aging parent in a different state, the things they need are transportation to doctor's appointments, prescriptions delivered, and groceries delivered. And so again, um, seeing those EAPs from employers fund things like that as well. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I'm thinking, I know a number of the health plans have, particularly those that have capitated primary care providers or value-based care providers have set up and are doing food insecurity surveys, you know, at the doctors, uh, for the Medicare population or or Medicaid or whatever. And I'm thinking, that's great. That's an initial first step. You've now identified it, but now you tell the individual, by the way, you got to go to the grocery store exactly. and go pick this stuff up or go to the food bank and pick this stuff up. And now you've, now you've got that piece that says, no, we're just going to put that in the system and send it on.
1: That is exactly right. You know, the, the screening is a great thing, but man, that's a lot of homework for a patient who's already in need. And so yeah. this allows you to take that same screening and act on it with almost no additional stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. So January 25, 24, yep. it will launch Nationwide.
1: That's right. We're we're sort of we're in beta testing now. Um, if anyone's interested in being a beta partner, we're we're also still taking requests there. Um, but full scale launch on January first, twenty twenty four.
2: So, if they wanted to be a beta tester, where do they go? Who who would they contact? Is go there...
1: to uberhealth.com and and we have a form ready for you.
2: Oh, fantastic. No, that's great. This is just such a a neat, broad-based solution to a problem I really look forward to seeing over time, you know, what sort of impact we see, and I'm sure we'll see a pretty substantial one.
1: You know, we we completely agree, both because of the, the studies around how much these supplemental benefits, and especially grocery and OTC, can impact clinical results, but also in how the administration of these benefits can be so much easier. Our hypothesis is that utilization will, um, uh, will target the right utilizers uh, mm-hmm. with, with this approach and, and develop better clinical results.
2: And is there going to be some sort of a limit to what can be ordered in the food or the providers say, you know, I'm going to send them a, a big old bag of Cheetos or something or how does that work?
1: Um, it completely depends on the benefit design and uh-huh. what you're trying to solve. Um, we have found that most plans do offer restrictions, uh, uh-huh. as you'd imagine. Um, uh, so it is common but not a reg- common and supported in our platform, but not a requirement.
2: Not a requirement. Fantastic. I think, you know, and yeah, obviously everybody has their little <laughs> things over here they're doing sometimes. But uh-huh. at the end of the day, if we can get healthier foods to individuals and make it easy for them, we'll solve a lot of interesting problems for sure. Completely. Do, do you then see also, as we're coming down sort of the end here, this idea that, okay, these individuals have diabetes, we've got to get them the right food things, because I, I remember working in one state, and we were had a patient that had diabetes, and they had in-home 12-hour services, and they had Meals on Wheels, but nobody had told Meals on Wheels that that individual had diabetes, and they had completely sent the wrong food to these individuals' homes. So it's sort of going to be helped to solve that because you sort of link up this person, the provider, yes. say, this person has diabetes, here's what we need to do.
1: That's exactly right. I think that's why, to us, the number one step in our web-based dashboard is an eligibility file here's the members that you can use this for, here's how you save information about them, including condition-specific information, allergy information, et cetera, so that you as the care coordinator can select the right food for the right member at the right time. It allows you to um, be... Individualistic and patient-centric, while still having that scalable processing program. Mm-hmm.
2: And is this going to be sort of as rapid as Uber is for those of us using it for transportation? Is it a similar thing? Obviously, you get times a day and communities that have fewer drivers, things. But is it going to be that kind of a exactly. ability to turn it around?
1: It's one of the, it's one of the benefits of being built on top of Uber's <laughs> existing carrier and driver network. Is we have that same network size on-demand service that uber has and we've layered on the ability to schedule in advance because uh, uh, i think you know we all know our care coordinators doctors offices etc um want to have the ability to fit this into the workflow where they can do things in advance not just the minute a patient needs something mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's really fantastic, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us and telling us about the program. It's going to be neat to watch this launch in next year.
1: Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited uh, uh, to see this. It's the culmination of about two years of work and excited to see it go live.
2: Fantastic. Well, back to you, Greg
0: and there you have it folks that is the final word for today's broadcast we do want to thank our listeners for tuning in and extend our heartfelt gratitude to caitlin donovan global head uber health for the preview of the network they're building for nationwide launch january 1st twenty four. To follow their work on the web via www.uberhealth.com and zip over to Twitter, give them a follow by at Uber Health as well. If you find our work at Pop Health Week engaging, please show your support by liking the show and your... Podcast platform. Share it with your colleagues and subscribe to stay updated with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays, 5:30 a.m., 1:30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for our friends on the West Coast, that's 2:30 a.m., 10:30 a.m. and 6:30 p.m. Pacific. From Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein and myself, Greg Masters, we urge you all to stay safe and until next time, farewell.